Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here as the countdown to Game 3 continues. We all know the situation. Bucks down 2-0. The series moves to Milwaukee. 6.30 p.m. tip-off at Fiserv Forum. Hopefully, there is a big crowd. Hopefully, there is a loud crowd there as the Bucks, uh, really with their season on the line, try to get things back on track. Today's episode is brought to you by Stat Hero, the first ever daily fantasy sports book that gives the player the advantage. Go to stathero.com slash locked on for 300% back on your first play. It's time for another Locked On podcast crossover episode. We hinted that we might get to this prior to the season when I podcasted with Adam from Locked On Nets. This time, we're going with the second host from Locked On Nets, Doug Norrie. It's good to catch up with you again, man. It's been about a month. I would like to say or I would like to hope that it would have been under better circumstances for the Locked On Bucks portion of this crossover <laughs> podcast. But how are you doing? Oh, man, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm, I'm still in a random state of disbelief here. I, like I, um, I said it on our podcast yesterday that we, uh, I, just, I personally did not see this coming. I wanted, as things get better and better for a team, I usually get more and more pessimistic. That's just how my, my psyche rolls down the chain. But uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, just, uh, I'm, I'm shocked that we're here. I'm shocked that we're talking about this. What we're about to talk about is a series that's 2-0, and we're talking about it in the state that it's in. I did not see this coming. Well, you've already endeared yourself to the Wisconsin listeners <laughs> of this show because they are in a constant state of negativity through various reasons, various sports teams where things have gone wrong. So they're going to love you for at least having that attitude. But you're <laughs> right. I mean, the way that I've described this, there's 2-0 deficits. And I think if you looked at this prior to the series starting and said, look, Milwaukee are going home with a 2-0 deficit, that's one thing. And you say, mm-hmm. sure, they've been on the road, fine. Uh, this this is a, certainly a scenario that could play out. But I think the complete domination on the Bro- on the Brooklyn side of things and then on the Bucks side of things, the complete uncompetitiveness makes this feel like a 2-0 deficit that is completely insurmountable at this point. Well, that's the crazy thing, right? It's like, I don't want to say a team's rolled over and died because they, they play seven games for a reason. It's because that's so, you know, this, it's why it's not the NCAA tournament, which is garbage, uh, you know, one and done. This is why you get the best team that comes out of it. And the, the one thing that t- tends to happen is complete and utter overreactions to one game or two games. But I will say, yeah, I'm with you on the part where this does feel different, where I mean, to lose a game by 40 or to win I'm, it is kind of unheard of. <laughs> Right for two teams that are that are supposed to be really really competitive, and so um, not that it hasn't happened before, but the part where yeah, like it's down two zero. Were they close games? No. Were they competitive? No. Should they have been maybe more competitive? Yeah, but it's it does feel like a very different. I'm I'm totally with you that it feels a different two zero than it normally would. And I'll say for all the for all the negativity, Bucks fans. I mean, Nets fans are in. 
<laughs> they're in it right now. <laughs> the Nets, the Nets Twitter streets are uh, are a place of reverence and joy right now. It's, it's they might as well be running. The, they might as well be <laughs> running the parade down Flatbush Avenue right now. Nets fans are very very excited. So I'm someone who absolutely avoids any type of trolling or shit talking on Twitter. It's just it's just not really my thing. You know, I get on there, I talk right. about the game, whatever, and I move on. But it's funny that you say that because. During the Miami series, even when the Bucks were up 3-0, it was impossible for me to avoid the, the Miami contingent of Twitter bringing up last year or whatever it is, still, still mm-hmm. doing their shit talking. I haven't seen any of this from Brooklyn. Is this, is this a nice fan base? I don't know. It feels like well, you, you guys might be kind of friendly. You know what it is? It's that it's that uh, Nets. It's, uh, I was gonna say happy to be here, but that's not really it. Nets. You know, if you, to understand the Nets, you have to understand that one. They play second banana in a lot of ways to yeah. the the other team in the city, right? And so this is a this is more of a validation point. So I don't think the Nets fans are ready to do the full victory lap yet. It's more just like so happy that this is going this way. Cause if you've been with the Nets for a lot of years, it's been a constant rebuild. It's been a lot about culture. It's been a lot about you know, doing, making all the right moves, all these little moves along the margins, and then culminating in first get signing Kyrie and KD because you just convinced everyone that the organization was so good and they were correct. And then being able to pull the hardened trade and all this other stuff. Um, and so it's mostly just, ha- it's mostly just happiness. And I think that's why there's no, you get, you get shit talking between Nets fans and Knicks fans, but that's really <laughs> all you get. That's really all you get. You're not, they're not ready to go out onto the larger NBA landscape. I will say one other thing that's happening though, is one thing Nets fans are starting to take umbrage with. And I think they're correct. Is this idea that Nets aren't a popular enough team to win right now? Like that's, that's another narrative that's kind of made its rounds around the national circuit, which is totally garbage, but it's, Oh, they don't have enough fans or they're not, they don't have enough history or whatever the other silly narratives that people need to make up to give themselves content. Like that's, that's another one that I, that Nets fans get mad about. No, but for the most part, if people are just feeling good right now, this is when Harden goes down in that first minute, like, well, I'll ask you, I'll ask you this. When Harden goes down in that first minute of the, of game one, your honest thoughts about what do you think happens to the rest of the series? He, not, we're not rooting for injuries. No one's ever, no one's doing that part of it. Right. It's not, I know, I, you know, it's bad juju to root for injuries, but when you see Harden go down, as a Bucks guy, you got to be like, oh, we have this, right? Yeah, so <laughs> like, I always, like, yeah it, it's interesting because I always try to, and, and this sometimes annoys people about me, I try to always look at the bigger picture and think about what it means. And, I, and I'm thinking across a, a series, not necessarily in that moment. But I will say this, in the few minutes that followed that injury to James Harden and the way that the Bucks were able to look physically dominant in the five to six minutes after the injury in terms of hitting the glass, they take a 20 to 11 lead. I did think to myself, geez, this, the way this game has started, even if you separate the heart and injury, what we're seeing, the way the Bucs are playing offensively, is probably a storyline that we thought we could see coming into this series. Now, that flipped very, very, very quickly. I, I think, yeah, if, if you said before the series that Harden, or, or if Harden wasn't even a part of this Brooklyn roster, I still think that most people would have viewed this as a series that is going to be very tight. But when you have James Harden in there and then you remove him, it feels like from a Milwaukee situation that this has to be a scenario that you have to take advantage of. Like you said, you don't hope for injuries, but when you lose an MVP that's only played 43 seconds into the series, if you're Milwaukee, you have to take advantage of that. And I saw a lot of questioning in the post game asking the Bucks, did that throw you off? Like Harden going out, did that throw off the game plan? I'm sorry. I- 
I don't care what question you have or what you plan for prior to the series. Losing James Harden is a positive for the Milwaukee Bucks. That's not something that you can look back at the end of the game and say, wow, Harden going out, that really threw us off, man. I, I'm not buying that. Yeah, no, I actually, I thought the same thing actually about the game planning piece. And I, I'm with you that it's not an excuse. I did think it threw them off um, in terms of probably what they schemed. I actually was, was surprised they didn't like make some other changes into the second game, but that's usually, changes usually are a third game kind of thing. But the, um, no, I was with you that the part where, because I know that you know in the post game, the or in the post game uh, pressers where they talked about in those moments right after Harden went down, there was a galvanizing effect among the Nets team that said, "Hey, we got this! Like, don't get down." We there they they said that to themselves in the huddle. And Blake Griffin commented on it, KD commented on it, where they said, "We could choose to get really down right now because we know this is bad. We cannot do it. We need to stay focused." And they, you know, to their credit, they really did it. Um, and so I, I can see that galvanizing effect. It's more like the second game that was the weird. We can take this any way you want. I don't know if you want to take it like in a Bucks way <laughs> where we talk about that. Because I don't actually know if this series is more, maybe this is the question, is the series more Nets dominance or more of Bucks problems? Or, or, or maybe it's a combination of the two because it's, maybe it's you know, maybe somewhere in between. But where, where would you say it stands right now? Is it more that the, is it more that the Nets are just playing, you know, so far above their heads or is it more that the Bucs have just kind of forgotten how to play altogether? All right, Doug, let's talk about Stat Hero, a new sponsor to the network. Do you know 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose? Is it really that surprising? The game is rigged against you. You're playing against thousands of other lineups, not to mention experts who have more tools and more time. You don't stand a chance. But now we are introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within their reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in head-to-head fantasy matchup. You name your stakes, winner takes all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. You are in total control. Stat Hero is DFS the way it was meant to be, one on one. Play Stat Hero now and change the odds. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. Sign up for free. And right now, you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. Stathero.com slash locked on. But I tell you what you have heard of before, and that is the best tasting protein bar that has ever been made. It is Bill Bar. You're going to need this in the lead up to game three. I'm telling you, and maybe if you don't have time or you don't have it in your pantry already, it's time to get that order in. Bill Bar is the best tasting protein bar that's ever been made. There's nine delicious flavors. If you can't pick which one to choose, get the mix box that I'm always telling you guys about. You'll get a taste of all nine flavors and you'll be able to uh, see which one you like the best. The bars are healthy for you. 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. Uh, It's it's great for pre-exercise, post-exercise, pre-game or post-game, or during the game. You're going to love it. The bars are covered in 100% chocolate. And the deal we have for you is the same as always. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your first order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. So 
Today on Road to the Finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. Story for me in this series so far is the Bucks' offense or lack thereof. And I think from a locked-on Bucks point of view, and when you cover the team, you, you get used to what you've seen throughout the season. You're able to pinpoint what you think is going wrong. But I also think a problem with that is sometimes you look through the Bucks' struggles purely from the Milwaukee lens and say, this is all Milwaukee, which I, which I think is disrespectful to the opposition, but it can be hard to really identify what it is that they're doing specifically well. We know that Brooklyn hasn't been a team uh, during the regular season that has been praised for their defense. So I guess the question I wanted to throw at you is when you look at the way Milwaukee are playing offensively, it's been a real, real struggle so far, and particularly in game two where they didn't fire a shot. How much of that are you looking at and saying, what the hell is Milwaukee doing? Or how much of you are, is looking at Brooklyn and saying, okay, this has been impressive so far? Well, I think it starts with, yeah, so there's a couple of problems, right? I think that one is, I think a lot of Nets fans and Nets analysts and whatever went into the series thinking Giannis was going to be, I, I know for me, for sure, Giannis was going to be a major problem. Defensively, I did not think they had any real solution for him. And when Jeff Green went down, I was even more concerned with that because they just they just don't even have enough bodies to throw at him. Like just just the numbers didn't seem to line up, and so I was really concerned with where the sort of the defensive scheme would come when it came to Giannis. And I don't know if they've confused. I mean, his shot selection has been atrocious. So I mean, just absolutely atrocious. It's it's part. So but it's I can't tell again if it's chicken or egg. His shot selection is so 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 bad. Which is the, which is has to have the Nets coaches and, and you know, staff just cheering every time they see him sort of like defaulting to a step back or you know stopping in the lane the momentum stops and then he kind of just floats back and throws up a, a random shot I do think the Nets scheme has been pretty good where it's been Blake has played out of his mind but they've also thrown like a second guy at him every single time. Like Bruce Brown flashes every single time that Giannis touches the ball. Someone flashes to him every time they try to stop the momentum. I mean, other teams do that too, so I'm not exactly sure why it's working now. <laughs> but, yeah. but it seems to have, if you look back at a shot selection, there, it does look like there's just five nets. It looks like the paint is just completely packed with black jerseys, and there's just, there is actually nowhere to go. So I don't think it's a whole story, but... And I guess I'm kind of rambling here, but the I guess it's I think the Nets have schemed it pretty well, and it does seem like Giannis is making different decisions than he usually makes when it comes to getting a full head of steam and being very confident going to the basket, Euro stepping around somebody, side swiping with that big leg around. You know what I mean? Like that stuff doesn't also seem to be happening, and I'm just not sure why. And I think it's partly scheme, and I'm not. It might be partly in his head. Like I'm not exactly sure. It just seems very weird. Like he should be, this is a matchup that he should be completely crushing and he's not. So if you, I think there's been two separate games here in terms of what Giannis has done as well, because game one, you could certainly make the case that Giannis should have been more aggressive, but ultimately he was 16 for 24 from the field while not hitting a three. So it right. tells you that he was efficient once he was in attack mode and Brooke Lopez was eight for 11 in that game as well. So the two big guys where you think you have the size mismatch were able to be really, really effective. They just couldn't hit a shot from the outside. But you hit the nail on the head. To me, I don't think that I'm ready to sit here and say that Blake Griffin has done anything that should have deterred Giannis. I, I don't believe that. But I, you, you said it. The, the shot selection was terrible. He bailed out the nets from the opening tip. 
in game two and just started shooting jump shots for some reason, which made no sense to me. And overall, I thought there was a lack of aggression there because it's not just about this series with Blake Griffin. That matchup has been one that the Clippers have tried, that Detroit have tried time and time and time again. And Giannis has just walked past him for layup after layup after layup right. after dunk. So I, I don't know what is the cause of that. But I think the other part is when you talk about having five Brooklyn players in the, in the paint, I do think that the Bucs, and this is you know probably a big coaching piece of this, they've made it very simple. They haven't passed the ball. They haven't run any actions anywhere from outside from the top of the perimeter. It's been all just one guy dribble the ball. They've gone into isolation mode. To me, they looked like they panicked big time in game two and started just jacking up shots. And I wonder, it, this is this is very simplistic view of mine, but they, to me, looked like a team that was completely rattled in game two. And, and I, I have my suspicion that the whole pressure of the situation got to them. I don't think they would have played in a road game in a situation like that with a full crowd for 18 months. And I think that once they got down early in this game, the wheels completely fell off and shot selection was the big one for mine. It was an absolute disaster. Yeah. I will say it, there's, there's often very little to take from blowouts, right? Like, like a blowout is once, once a game is out of hand, it's, you, there's really no X's and O's stuff that can really be taken from that. I think so. Like, this is why I don't, I try not to go nuts about, yeah, they won by 40 and there were some things the Nets did really well. Sometimes games just get out of hand and that's just how they're going to finish. Right. And so yeah. it's like, I don't like, I don't know if we for instance, I wouldn't look at the shot selection for either team or the confidence level of either team in the second half and make any no, grand determinations not. about about what was like really happening on the court. Um, I am with you that I think that the Bucks, you know, because you know, have really bailed the Nets out a lot in terms of what they haven't done, right? Like the pressure they haven't applied on the Nets, and that's been really good. Um, the Nets have also just been have shot it better than they ever could probably have expected. So there's this, uh, this is what I meant about chicken or the egg. I think there's a, there's two things happening here where the nets are playing slightly above their heads and that's, uh, excuse me, the nets are playing slightly above their heads. And then the, the bucks are sort of like gifting them certain opportunities. And then one team has their shots going in and one team doesn't. And that's where, you know, I, I want to make sure I'm not out ahead of my skis and in, in terms of overconfidence, but um, in terms of like going forward, do you think, but the, the Bucks probably have a move or two to make in terms of scheme or maybe apply different pressures. I'm wondering, you think, do you think Coach Bud makes a change? Because usually game three, like right now is when you make a change, right? This is where, this is where the adjustments start to be made. I'm wondering, do you think something like that happens? Yeah, I'd be interested to know what you think about this. But I, I think there's a couple of things that I've certainly looked at, and, and our listeners have heard me say this, but I think if you aren't going to take advantage of the size on offense with Brook Lopez in particular, then you have to ask the question defensively, what are you doing to make him a defensive deterrent? And so far, it hasn't been the case. And you already mentioned, I mean, Brooklyn are shooting out of their minds right now. But I think part of that is the fact they've been allowed to shoot practice jump shots. And these guys are yeah. too good. They're going to they're gonna knock those down. So I, I agree that, I mean, if you, you can't leave the lineup change until you lose game three. At that point, it's, it's far too late. I haven't seen anything in this series, and to be fair, I didn't see anything in the regular season games either that tells me that P.J. Tucker is making Kevin Durant uncomfortable in the slightest. So mm. I probably, at this point, would put Middleton on Durant. You could say Giannis if you want, but I would start the game with Middleton, who's done a, re- a you know, relatively good job over the course of his career. I'd put Pat Connaughton in the starting lineup and say, okay, you're just going to chase around Joe Harris, and also you're going to rebound. Because I think what we've seen in this series that has stood out to me is that these Brooklyn role players, 
I mean, they are. You spoke about it. Maybe it's the galvanizing factor of, hey, we have to be a big part in this series. But my goodness, they are flying around everywhere. Yep. It's It's been impressive. It's been incredible, man. Well, so actually, it's funny you say that about the so the Tucker thing. I I said that actually in our podcast after Game One that I was I thought they would move Tucker back out of the starting lineup. Yeah. I thought they did that specifically because of Harden, um, and they could body they could switch out they could they could feel good about switches and they could keep a body Durant. But the second Harden wasn't playing anymore, playing anymore, you don't need as much defense really, and so you can at that point try to match offense for offense. I think a little bit more. Yeah. I thought they would start maybe start Brent Forbes at that yeah. point, like just to get three point shooting. You can. Yeah. Yeah, you can hide. Yeah, you can hide him on Bruce Brown. Like, there's lots of ways you can do stuff with that. Um, and so I was actually a little bit surprised about that one. Um, in terms of in terms of the overall just sort of hustle, what, one thing this actually came up in a locker room last night, and just to give Blake Griffin an, another little like sort of shot in the arm here, was that so Blake's energy is so crazy good in this series, and the the fact that he get he's getting on the ground. I mean, he, the guy's on the ground three quarters of the game. I thought of it first because he was too old, but it's, I think he just like, like enjoys living on, like just diving for these loose balls. He's taken this new persona of scrappy, you know, scrappy hustle guy. Like, and I was actually wondering about if other players, especially the younger guys, the, you know, the ones that are even there on the nets, they're not really a young team, but a lot of these guys probably grew up looking at Blake as like the superstar idol. Like this, these, this guy had to have been their idol. Like these guys jumping over cars, he's winning dunk contests, Lob City, he's a human highlight reel. And now they see him in this late stage of his career sort of going, doing all the little things, like all these little just sort of like unheralded things and just not, he's not, not a highlight guy anymore. And I was actually wondering if that's actually having a galvanizing effect for the team where it's like they're like looking at him and saying, oh, this guy who's a max guy who just got bought out because everyone said he was toast. And this guy who was like our absolute hero, if you were watching basketball, you know, a decade ago, and now he's the one on the ground. And now, well, I better fucking get on. I just cursed. Now I better, get, I better, I better get on the ground now too, because if he's willing to do it, I should do it. And I, I think that's actually rubbing off on the whole team basically where they're like, we're going to make sure no one's going to miss an assignment. No one's going to miss a rotation. You're going to close everything out at full speed. Like you're we're gonna get on the ground for every single ball. It's just not really something you see from NBA teams a lot. And I actually think Griffin's like has sort of okayed that for everyone to make sure they go out and do it. Yeah, and he did that really from the the start of game one. And we have questioned and asked what does home court advantage mean. And we missed that, obviously, last season in the postseason. But I, I do think that you see that with plays like that. That's exactly where and exactly why the role players generally play better at home. I mean, we've seen every time Blake Griffin is on the floor, that building is like ready to explode. The bench is going crazy. Everyone's fired up. And I agree. That's infectious. That's the type of plays that are infectious. And to be honest, those are the types of plays that have been completely missing from the Bucs. I'm curious about Chris Middleton. What you've seen, I mean, it's been a disastrous series, clearly shooting the ball. And the one thing about Chris Middleton that I at least always push back a little bit on is the fact that people sometimes will say, well, his shot selection's been pretty bad. But if you've watched Chris Middleton over the last three years, I mean, these are the shots that he takes. (laughs) And he's been incredibly efficient. So what have you seen that Brooklyn have done defensively to make his life difficult? Because... I think if we had to come into this series and said that Chris Milton's going to be a no-show, you wouldn't have even, I mean, you would have, you would have picked a sweep. You wouldn't have even given the Bucks a chance. 
Yeah, I think that um, one is like what we talked about before, where I think there's like some hesitancy around these guys to pull the trigger when shots are open or at least move the ball quick enough to get it out of mm-hmm. rotations. Like you see the Nets doing this on rotations where it's like, um, you know, the, 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 the goal is to get the ball as far away from the closest defender as possible, as quickly as possible. Right. Like that's uh that's what, and it's really worked for them. And that's not something that actually happens as much with Harden, but it's happening now. I think the Bucks part of it is that it's not like the shots have really even been terrible for him. He's seen a lot of Durant, right? Like that's like, that's sort of a problem, but Durant's actually been acting as a help defender. Also, I think it's like sort of this, it does, it looks to me, and this is, this is like a not, really analyst thing this is probably more of a fan thing it looks to me that no one at least the last game and a half i would say not the probably the first part of the first game um has looked all that comfortable with the shots that they are taking even drew too like the the shots that they're taking seem to be default shots because it's there they feel like they probably haven't shot it enough in certain possessions where like the, the offense is bogged down around Giannis, and then nothing really opens up you know, the, the corners don't up, open up the way they were supposed to. The above the break stuff hasn't opened up the way it's supposed to really when he's that far down. So I think like Durant's probably caused him some problems and they just aren't getting the, – the way you really attack the Nets is to make sure that you're as close to the rim as possible because they can't rebound very well and there's usually just an opening there. Like the second chance points are a disaster for the Nets, um, all this other stuff. And, they, and the, they're just not doing any of those things. And so – I don't even think the shots have been that bad. It's just usually the way it's just usually the way you score points and beat the Nets is to do all the things that the Bucks aren't doing right now, which is punish them on the glass, punish them in the interior, get like, you know, get someone in foul trouble. There was what seven foul shots? No, twelve total foul shots in the last game or something like that. Like there was no like there's no there's no fouls. They're not challenging any of these guys, they're not making it uncomfortable. So I don't think it's I think it's just a kind of a, a mashup of different things where the net, there's so many ways to make the Nets defense look uncomfortable and or to make them look really exposed. It's usually around the glass. And then that, and they just haven't done any of that. And so like I don't think the, the Middleton shot selection is all that bad. It's more that they just aren't doing the things that, that really can be a punish this team. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Researched and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients, Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three different flavors, uh, which is wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine that comes in three flavors. Uh, Those are cherry ice, citrus, and mint. Lucy lozenges and gums are FSA and HSA eligible, so you can use your FSA cards to purchase Lucy now, and it's convenient and discreet. Products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights, at work, on the go, or even in the gym. It's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. This is the real deal. The subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple that you don't even have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. Locked on NBA network listeners just have to go to lucy.co and use promo code Locked on NBA to get 20% off all products on your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's Lucy, L U C Y, dot C O, and use promo code Locked on NBA at the checkout. Also, I have to give this disclaimer uh, this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Lucy.co, and be sure to use that promo code Locked on NBA.
Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you with the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It would be wrong of us, I feel, to do this podcast and not broach the topic of coaching. I don't know if you picked up on it, but there seems to be... (laughs) and, And listen, this isn't a new thing. But depending on the way this series goes, there might be a little bit of pressure in the coaching position in Milwaukee. I mean, there's no way he survives if they lose the series, right? Like, I, like I don't, do we even need to say it? There's no, there's, if, if, if they run out the same starting lineup the next two games and they lose yeah. the series, uh, like there's no, you can't, you can't run it back, right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's, we almost haven't discussed it too much on the show because I think it's just so obvious. But as far as Brooklyn goes and Steve Nash, it's been interesting to see how the narrative has gone throughout the regular season and into the playoffs because I, want, I think one thing that's been underrated really throughout the season and part of it has been because the Nets haven't been able to have the three guys out there and it's, it's almost this unanswered question at how the Nets going to play offense if three guys are in the lineup because they just haven't been in the lineup but what it has forced them to do or what they've been good enough to do and perhaps well coached enough to do is the fact that they they really play beautiful basketball. I mean, that ball yeah. is zipping around and, and I don't think that there's been enough credit given to that because we can question the Bucks' defense all we want, but sometimes you look at the way that they're running the offense with the attention that you know a Kyrie Irving's going to get and a Kevin Durant is going to get and these other guys are moving off the ball. They're setting good screens. It, it's, it's just a well-oiled machine. Yeah, you know, it's funny about the way that their offense actually functions in two different ways depending on who plays. And it's, I think it is a testament to the coaching that there's, a, there's um, an allowance for creativity and how it's played. Because when Harden plays, there's ball movement, but it actually doesn't move as fast. It just moves in a more determined way. So sometimes the, the people can think that the Nets offense breaks down into this ISO heavy, um, like that happened a lot in Boston. Like they slowed things down and went really ISO, but it, and some people, I think if you're not watching, you think, oh, it's your turn. It's my turn. It's your turn. It's my turn. It's actually not that. It's actually, let's just go find who has the best uh, defensive assignment here. And we'll go make sure we get him into that mismatch. And we'll just, and we'll play that chess game, right? Like we're going to play the chess game of we move it around enough. And then if it's Peyton Pritchard on Kevin Durant, then that's who's going to get the ball. Right? <laughs> like, and so, yeah, yeah. but in this version of it, they can't, they don't have, they can't afford that possibility as much because KD and Kyrie take so much of the, of the attention. So now ball moving becomes more of a, like that has to happen much quicker. I think it, the ball moving piece becomes a little easier when two guys on the team are pretty much like, you don't shoot at all. Like Blake Griffin, you do not shoot. And Bruce Brown, you do not shoot. If you are standing wide open under the basket, you get to shoot. Otherwise, Blake Griffin can like pump a three, but please do not shoot the ball. And so I think when that's the understanding, the ball can start moving quicker because it's understood that these guys aren't going, they're going to find the exact right spacing and then they're going to let it go as soon as it gets into their hands and continue moving it around. So I think that's it. And then the other part too with the, with the Nets, and this is like something the Bucks probably just don't have, is that thing you need to be locked in more on KD and Kyrie on a one-on-one defensive assignment than you do a lot of the Bucks guys. You'd like not want, you don't want Drew and Chris taking wide open threes for sure. But Kyrie and KD, you simply cannot lose them for a second <laughs> like because they will destroy you. And if you get too close, they'll blow by you. And if you sag off too far, they'll shoot over you. Right. And so you're in this totally impossible spot where it just opens up more space because of that, because you can't 
there's no there's no ability to once you can't leave those two guys hips that just creates all the rest of the space around it right and so then it looks like it looks like there's tons of spacing because you just have to be closer up on those two guys so i think it's a combination of things like i think it's in their dna to make sure the ball is moving very very fast but it's also understanding of one there's going to be lots of space two two guys aren't going to don't shoot at all so don't worry about that piece of it and then now we'll just keep moving till we find an open shooter because there eventually will be one by the nature of how the other defenses have to play. If we just keep going, someone will be open before the end of 24 seconds. And it just really does happen every time. They just need to be focused on it. So game three, what are we even looking for here from the box? I mean, <laughs> I mean, what you, you said that you, you've been a little bit surprised by this result. Um, I said to you before we started recording that, I was pretty optimistic that this was going to be a super competitive series. I think when I podcasted with Adam before, I don't think I actually named a team that I said, I think there's a significant chance it goes seven games. That feels so far away uh, right yeah. now. But you said that you were surprised and, and perhaps it's the pessimism. You said you were surprised that the results has been here. I don't think, and maybe if you had to said Harden was out, I would have been surprised by this, but I, I don't think this result was totally out of the question just because of everything you just outlined with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and how impossible they can be at times. But if the Bucks win game three, Bucks fans will talk themselves into it. It stays on home court. So there's no doubt this is still a critical game. So what are you even looking for in, in this one? The start, I mean, the start is, is critical. I mean, I, from what I saw from this Bucks team in game two and the way that you know, ultimately, they were overmatched, but looked like they folded a little bit. If the Nets get off to a quick start here, it could be ugly. Yeah, I think that. Well, I, I got really saved when you and Adam did that pregame, uh, the pre-series thing. I got saved, but with from a, a, a slew of horrendous bad takes about the series because <laughs> everything everything I thought was going to happen has gone the exact opposite way. So I missed the first two podcasts before the series started, and I'm a better professional for it because I was going <laughs> to, if we had saved the receipts, it would have looked really, really bad. I actually still will stick with what I thought was going to happen in this series. I do think that the Bucks sit down here and say, and probably look at this tape and are probably able to figure out a few things and say, look, these are horrendous mistakes. Don't do these things. Do not settle for these fadeaway jump shots. Do not let them off the hook by not continuing on to the paint. Get in there and get fouled. You're bigger than everybody. I'm talking about Giannis specifically here. Like, you're bigger than everybody. Just get fouled if that's what's going to happen. Like, they're not going to take enough offensive fouls. Like, you're going to be okay. And that's just going to open up more spacing. There's At some point, the Bucs just start making threes at, like, at the same rate that they made them this season, you would think, right? <laughs> like, so I think, like, that has to regress a little bit. And so I'm probably – talking myself into talking myself into not being disappointed but these are the things that I thought were the tenants going into the series with the, that are still very correctable so I do think that this is a crucial I mean the bucks clearly have to win it's a little bit of house money with the nets um I do think there's like certain just very basic things that can regress on the buck side that would make this a much more competitive series if they just made 40% of their threes instead of what 24% or whatever they've made in the first two games uh, we're looking at a totally different game or a totally different series I think so um I am not in the camp of this is over I think some people probably think it is fit 40 point wins can make you think that just the series is over I would be I'm very hesitant I think there's lots of ways that the bucks especially if Harden doesn't come back. There's lots of ways that for four more games, they can punish, they can really punish the Nets. I, there's, 
and it and it really doesn't take a chess master to figure figure it out either. I think it's actually just very basic execution things. And within two games, we could look at, be looking at a different series. So I'm, I'm, I am carrying over still a lot some of what I thought was going to happen before the series. Yeah, I mean, it's really fascinating. I, I was watching this game, and some people, if you were a Middleton pessimist, would say, yeah, because they're losing. There's no pressure on him. But Middleton to start 0 for 8, and then he was 7 for 12 from there on out. If you really want, if you, if you want to like squint as hard as you could possibly squint and try and take something from game two, maybe it's the fact Milton actually saw a shot go down, which is still one of the craziest phenomenons in basketball. I think that you can be so ice cold, hit one shot, and all of a sudden it looks like you can't miss. It's just one, yeah. of, those, one of those crazy things. So I don't know. They're going to need him to get going. But you're right. I mean, on, on your home floor, maybe they knock down some threes. Maybe they get rolling. Maybe they can make things interesting. I'm certainly... I, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to come from, and like you said, in a blowout, which happened all the time in playoff series, mind you, it can be so hard to see where you climb your way out of this. I'm just looking at Kevin Durant in particular as the best player in the world and the most unstoppable force in basketball right now and finding it hard to believe the Bucks can either slow him down or outscore <laughs> that man. I mean, the guy is absolutely terrifying. So I'm probably... Not all that optimistic about what we've got left in the series. But then again, as I said, you can only win game three and see where it goes from there. Yeah. Uh, by the way, real quick, I saw the stat uh, earlier today. Uh, KD's 50-50-90 for, ser- for the playoffs so I mean, far. It's, it's, ins- <laughs> like, it's absolute insanity. <laughs> so for, I, I probably did too much talking about how bad Giannis has been and not enough about how yeah. amazing yeah, KD yeah. is. But you do, it is one of those things where you watch it for a few games and you get a uh, – you get just kind of um, spoiled with it because it's so it's so fluid and simple and easy. Uh, and yeah, so to spend thirty something minutes and not mention KD in a series where he's been clearly the reason they're winning was probably a I don't know a bad a bad job by me to do it. But yeah, no, <laughs> I should have. You probably should have led with that. Yeah, no, I hundred percent agree. And and there's there's no player in the league where certainly right now where he has the ball in his hands wherever he is, and he's like, hey, he's not going to miss this shot. Like, it's, it's genuine right. shock. Genuine shock when the ball rims out on a Kevin Durant shot. It just feels well, there's like multiple shots. multiple shots where it doesn't, it's, it's unclear if it touched the net, where it, where it just it looks it's so smooth that the, the net doesn't even move. And if you're seven feet tall and can do that over any defender, and like I said, if you're going to play him in his pocket, he'll rise up over you. And if you're going to sag off from a little bit, He'll either blow by you or pull up in front of you because he just can, I don't know, basically carve you up from any point in the court. Again, I, I this is this is my problem. It's like the opposite way of covering this team every day and talking about them every day. Like that just becomes the known thing. It's like, oh yeah, we know Katie is the best in the world. Let's now let's talk about Blake. You know, <laughs> but right. it's, yeah. it really it's a, it's a bad job because it's it it's misses the forest for the for the Kevin Durant trees because uh no he's clearly he's clearly the best guy. We just I don't know spend four days a week talking about how great he is, and then the other day is focused on like a Bruce Brown floater or something like that. No, the amount of times we've done the same where you get to the 30-minute mark of the pod and you're like, oh, yeah, by the way, Giannis had 40 and 15 yeah. tonight. You know, I mean, it, it, right. is, it is one of those things where you watch it every single night. You could just lead every single podcast with them and talk about how great they are. But Durant's been on fire. The Nets are two zip up. Who knows? I, I don't know whether we've got another crossover pod left in us in this series, but we'll <laughs> wait and see. But, Doug, it's always a pleasure to catch up with, with you and Adam, and uh, these podcasts are a lot of fun. All right, man. Good luck in game three. I mean, well, moderate good luck. I'd like to, you know, I, 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 <laughs> uh, good, good luck enough to uh, make it competitive, but uh, not enough to win. 